giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing In to Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Friday, March 8th. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Avdi Grimm. Hey, Avdi. Hello from Pennsylvania. How's it going? It's going great. Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're a Emacs user. I am. Yeah. One of those. You might be one of the first Emacs users we had on the podcast. <laughs> Are you worried about that fact? Uh, I think the uh, Church of Emacs is, is pretty secure in its eventual dominance of, of all life. Yeah. I, I actually, this is, might shock some people, but I've actually spent a lot of time using Emacs. Have you? I, I went through a, a common lisp period, um, mm-hmm. as one does in their adolescence. And um, <laughs> as one does, uh-huh. before they graduate to real editors, um, I used Emacs for a while, and I I will admit, being able to program your editor in Lisp is pretty damn amazing. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I I, I can't fault you for that. <laughs> I think Emacs users like typing. I'm in good company. I mean, Jim yeah. Wyrick uses Emacs. That's true, and he's on the cutting edge. Yeah. yeah. Um, I also noticed I was I was stalking you on Twitter in preparation for this podcast. I noticed that you have an online assistant. I do have an assistant. Yeah, yeah. and you were like sending her tasks via Twitter, <laughs> which blew yeah. my mind a little bit. I don't I don't usually do that, but um, but in that case, it was just convenient because it was like, hey, I can just CC everybody concerned. And yeah, so how is that working out? Is that a worthwhile expense? Uh, oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, a lot of the stuff that I do just wouldn't be possible without Mandy. Mm. Uh, I've been working with her for, I think, over a year now. Huh. Um, I'd have to check that, but uh, it's been a while now, and, and uh, it's been fantastic. Mm. I don't think I've ever um, met someone that was like, oh, I started outsourcing all these tasks that I don't really want to do, and I hate it. <laughs> Everyone's always <laughs> like, this was the best thing ever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how deep you, deep you want to get into that, uh, but so uh, deep. I uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. Um, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're if your whole day just consists of writing code, there's probably not a there probably aren't a lot of things that you could delegate to an assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as you start getting into you know having a lot of different demands on your time. Um, different people asking for appointments and stuff like that. Um, or if you, you know, you have some side projects that involve something other than coding, mm. uh, which for me include, uh, among so other many things. things. Well, yeah, a number of things, including like a podcast, yeah. uh, the wide teams podcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I, I initially, I initially started looking for an assistant when, um, scheduling got kind of nuts. Um, mm-hmm. I had, started i mean i was do i was consulting and i had started doing some uh pair programming sessions um and i tried all of the online scheduling tools Mm -hmm. and they all sucked in their own special ways (laughs) um you know and the bottom line it really what i think it's an intractable problem as far as software goes until we have real ais because uh nothing can beat having a human touch when it comes to scheduling because you know they Mm -hmm. can they can gradually get to under you know come to they can understand your schedule and under, understand how your you know what a particular week is like you know they they have a they can get a feel for um whether a, a week is particularly heavy or there's some you know family obligation that that makes a, a week a bad time to schedule a bunch of stuff mm. um and there's just so many little rules that you know I wanted to encode into scheduling tools and I couldn't mm-hmm. and uh, and and 
you know, and even just like leave out all the rules stuff, the fact, you know, if, if a scheduling goes bad, um, you know, there's a conflict at the last minute or something, a human can sort that out a lot more gently and, uh, you know, a lot more happily than, than trying to deal with some robots. So, <laughs> um, totally in, in so many ways that that was an improvement, but then, you know, we started expanding out and, and, uh, I started having her do some stuff with the podcast. And at this point, um, literally all I do is show up for the interviews. Perfect. Um, that's, she, <laughs> that's kind of what I get to. She schedules them, edits them, um, writes up the show notes, writes up the summaries, posts them. Um, yep. That's Chad Pytel does, does pretty much all that for us, except like the recording and editing, which are other people, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, they let, they let me just be the talent. And fortunately I only get involved at, at record time. And now she's also the one who takes care of um, the Ruby Rogues podcast and, mm-hmm. and the other uh, Char- Chuck's other podcasts. So mm. yeah, so we sort of we sort of dove in here, but I, I didn't really give you an intro. Um, so we should talk about you because you're a guy and you do stuff. <laughs> That's a pretty good summary. Yeah, and it seems to be a lot of Ruby stuff. I mean, I, I have notes on you, and my notes are huge because you do so <laughs> many things. Um, Is this the part where you lay the folder down and say we have yeah. a file on you? We've been watching you for some time, Mister Grimm. Um, yeah, so you're an author. Um, you've got some books that are highly regarded by some of my coworkers and even other humans. Yay. Uh, yeah. Um, you're a podcaster, you're a mailing list contributor, you're a screencaster, you're a pairer, you're a yes. blogger. <laughs> so when are you going to just give all this up and get a real job? <laughs> Hopefully never. Is that the plan? You, you, you're liking how things are going? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a steady progression, uh, career-wise, towards mm-hmm. uh, you know better control of my own schedule and, and uh, that sort of thing. Yeah, it seems like you have all these like sort of um, mini businesses here and there that sort of combine to make up a, an income in a week and whatnot. A giant robot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although, actually, so my I mean, my job right now is Ruby Tapas. Right. Uh, for for the for a while um, this year, it was. It was consulting pair programmer, uh-huh. uh, or actually, I should say, last year. For a while, last year, maybe about about half, a little over half the year, um, my job description was consulting pair programmer. I, I, I went from doing that a little bit to doing no regular consulting work and doing nothing but pairing sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, but hmm. uh, in the last month, or in in the last month, I've started transitioning over to being, uh, you know, full time on Ruby Tapas mm-hmm. and. Uh, and tailing off the pairing sessions because it was just getting to be a bit too much. Right. I, I liked your, um, so I read your post about um, winding down the pairing and mm-hmm. there's, there's an awesome quote that I want to I read real quick, which is um, someone had asked you one of the most common things that you help people with in these sessions. Mm-hmm. And I thought this was great. So you said, I think the most common problem I help people with is naming things. So often they'll present me with some code that they don't feel good about, and I'll ask them questions about it until some domain concept emerges that had been lying implicit in the logic, but that they hadn't yet addressed by name. We'll name it, make it into a method or class, and they'll say something like, wow, that helps me understand my own code better. And yeah. that's, that's awesome. Like I talk about this in some of my talks, which is every time I can pull uh, an implicit concept out of the code and make it explicit and give it a name and, and point to it and call it something, it makes mm-hmm. things so much better. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of, one of, one of my favorite things to hear is at the end of a session is I understand my own code better now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's surprising how much clarity that gives you. And it's cause it's so easy for, 
things to show up implicitly in, clo- in code. Like they kind of sneak in there. And all of a yeah. sudden, there's all this stuff that has to do with like, uh, like user registration or something, but you've never created a user, user register. Right. Or registerer. Um, yeah. Registerer. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that um, the, is, is the idea of, of encoding processes as, as objects in their own right. Mm. Um, we talk about this a fair amount, and you know, one of the things that you run across, or that I run across in code bases more and more, are things called like you know, user registerer. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I think I would, I would have to insist on calling that user registrar. Mm. Uh, so that might not be as good an example, but of, of what I'm talking about. But a lot of times, you find a name that ends in er, mm-hmm. um, and that's not. I don't think that's an inherently a bad thing. Um, some folks have, have taken to calling objects like that service objects, which I, I think is a completely meaningless, meaningless term. <laughs> um, but I think that sometimes that terminology can it's one of the it's one of those naming concerns that can lead you a little bit astray because sometimes what I find are objects named you know like uh, uh, user adder, let's say uh-huh. uh, you know it's it's an object which is supposed to encapsulate the complex process of adding a new user. Okay, and um, sometimes I'll find that it's that because of the naming, because it's it's thought of as a thing that does this, you wind up with like one method on it, which um, is like go, which yeah, go or Run. it just or it just reiterates the um the name of the class, right, so right, user add or add user, mm-hmm. um, which is I think a kind of an indicator right there. It's kind of a flag, like if if the if the name of the method is just reiterating the name of the class, um. You know, all you've done is you've in, is you've taken a method and and made a class of it, which is can really be the start of some great refactoring. So it's totally. not a, a, a terrible thing. It's method object. But what I what I often see is that so they yeah exactly it's method object. But what they don't do um, in the met, in like the method object progression is they don't um, actually convert it into an object representing a process. So what they do is they they keep all of the parameters on like that that add user method. Um, and then, you know, you know, and then either they're just calling, you know, like uh, user adder dot add user, you know, blah, with lots of params everywhere. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just make it a class method and say, you know, user adder dot add user. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, what I've found is that often when you rethink something like that um, as an object actually representing the process, not an object representing a thing that does the process, hmm. but an object representing the process itself. So we might call it user addition. Hmm. This is a user addition process, as in we pro- you know we processed fifteen user additions this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you start it's it starts being a lot easier to do things like break the process down into multiple steps. Um, you know, it might that it it might turn out that a user addition actually has some discrete states states that it needs needs to go through, mm-hmm. um, and it becomes I think. Just thinking through it becomes easier. Um, you start to pull those states out as maybe separate methods on the object. Um, you may turn it into a state machine. You may actually discover that it makes sense to start saving them to the database. And so you, may, you, know, you, you make it an active record object or something like that, mm. and you save that state. And so now you can have you know, a user addition process. And you can see, you can go and look at all the user additions which are currently in the you know, awaiting confirmation state or something like that. Um, and that's that's kind of a, an evolution that I often see pro- uh, 
process objects go through is that first it's just basically like a, an encapsulation of a method, you know, just, you know, bang, do it. But you gradually start um, wanting to have like more of a workflow. And then you start wanting to save that workflow midpoint mm. um, in, you know, at some intermediate state. And if you, if the object actually represents the process rapper, rather than uh, a thing that does that process, it can, I think it can help you think about, it can, it can help you move in that direction. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I haven't tried that, but now I want to, I want to apply this to some real code and see what that feels like. Is this something, it, go ahead. It's, it's, it's one of those things that it seems like a pointless, you know, quibble, like, so we name we name it something slightly different. What's the mm-hmm. big deal? But but I have seen you know like we were talking about earlier. I've seen it happen over and over and over again that we we pull out a term like that and suddenly everything kind of falls into place and we're no longer you know you the thing is when you, when you're thinking of in terms of like a user adder you start doing stuff like oh we need to save this the, the intermediate state of this and now so now we need some other object to represent the state. Um. Yeah, the state of it, or you know, some some hunk of data to to as a token to represent the state of it. And uh, but if you think of it as a user addition, then it natu- it's you know naturally becomes oh well that's that's a state you know a piece of state on the user ad- this particular instance of a of user addition. Right. I'm also picturing like the the public API getting better for this. So like if you have user adder um, dot add. That's sort of like you said. That's kind of maybe a little bit smelly with a duplicated name there, or just a reiteration mm-hmm. of name. But if it's sort of um, adding user process, it's like your first method is like something like begin or like whatever the real first step of this addition actually is, and like subsequent method calls are other well-named steps. Right. Right. So tell me about um, object on Rails. Uh, what can I tell you about objects on Rails? Um, is it it's it's in progress, right? It's still going. Oh no no no! That's done? that's long finished. Okay, um, I'm working on Confident Ruby right now. Gotcha. So you have Object on Rails, Exceptional Ruby, and Confident Ruby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite of your children? Which one do you love the most? <laughs> um, I am. I think I'm already happiest with Confident Ruby. Hmm. Uh, I think Confident Ruby sums up so many of the things that that I have wanted to sort of get out into the world. Uh, and it's given me the opportunity to to investigate some things that that I never was able that I never had time to fully investigate before. Um, you know, it's it's obviously it's still an alpha. It's not, nowhere near complete, but it already has, uh, in my opinion, some of the most complete coverage of um, conversions in Ruby uh, that that you'll find anywhere. Conversions. So um, implicit conversions, explicit conversions. You know, you things like two a versus two ary. Okay. Uh, when to use one, when to use the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then the uh, conversion functions, as they're sometimes referred to, which are capital named methods, mm-hmm. uh, which usually provide sort of a generic, um, a more generic form of conversion. So like uh, there's, a, there's a method named array, and it's actually named exactly the same as the class array. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's available anywhere. And it's sort of the the magic arrayification operator. You can you can apply the array method to pretty much anything, and you will always get an array back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll usually make sense the way it came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know you give it give it an array, and you'll get the exact the same array back. Give it a uh, some 
singular object, you'll get an array wrapping that singular object. Um, give it a give it a range, and you'll get the range broken out into an array, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a big piece of the book. Um, or, that's or, a or just well covered. It's just uh, now nah, it's just an example of something that I got to dig into as a result of of working on this book. Gotcha. Uh, Those are all yeah. self published. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do have exceptional Ruby. I have a distribution deal with the Prags, so mm-hmm. you can actually go to the Pragmatic Programmer and buy um, buy a copy there. Although I get more money if you buy it straight from me. Mm-hmm. However, that is the one place that you can get um, a uh, a paper copy of Exceptional Ruby. So that's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Have you been happy with that arrangement with them? Oh yeah, yeah, that's been fantastic because you know they have a really big distribution network. Sure, they've been around a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So you are also a podcaster. Extraordinaire. I was looking at uh, Ruby Rogues has just hit 95 episodes. I know, right? You guys started back in May of 2011. Well, and I wasn't around back then. Okay. Um, when did you I, join? Uh, I joined... I'd actually have to look at the episode list to figure out exactly when I joined. Roughly. Uh, but uh, I feel like that's been around a year, too. Mm-hmm. Um, How did you get uh, hooked up with those guys? Um, I think some of them had... Some of them had seen exceptional Ruby hmm. uh, and maybe some other stuff that they'd seen, maybe some of my blog posts or something. Uh, and they brought me on for like a, a last minute guest guest spot. Hmm. And, uh, and then they did that again a couple of weeks later. And then uh, Aaron Patterson found that who had, who was one of the panelists found that he just didn't have time for the show anymore. And they were cast, they were looking for a, a replacement and they asked me to, fill in so with, with a nice please, big shoes to fill with a pleasing baritone voice <laughs> i guess gotta have the right radio voice to podcast yeah and you also um you run your own podcast wide teams mm-hmm. and so that is a with you're chatting with sort of remote workers mm-hmm. is that the idea yes so, it's all about remote work yeah so you must be excited for uh, 37 signals new book you know, I actually just heard somebody mention that in an interview. I didn't know um, anything about it. And then uh, the last Y-Teams interview I did, they, uh, they mentioned something offhand. Now I have to go look that up. Gotcha. You don't have the right Google alerts going on. Apparently not. Actually, you know, I do, um, but I just haven't paid any attention to them for a while. Is your, <laughs> is your email a disaster area? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I've been using the, uh, the Google, the Gmail priority inbox, and that's been helping a lot. Yeah. Uh, I, I use a few tools to... to cope with the uh, the influx but i still wind up falling if several days to a f- several weeks behind if i decide to focus on videos or a book or something for a while right yeah do you do you wish you got less email um no mm-hmm. no i mean a lot of it i br- i bring on myself by subscribing to mailing lists and stuff like that yeah and um the rest of it you know, is basically a good problem to have. Right. That's exactly how I feel. I, I get the nice, I, I, I tweet periodically, um, things like I get the nicest emails Hmm. and it's because I do. Um, Yeah. I I get a few too many emails that don't matter to me, but I actually wish I got more emails that I did want to read. mm -hmm. Like I, I think I have an unlimited capacity for emails that are interesting, new ideas or topics or people or things like that. Yeah. Bring it on. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I say this now, but we'll see. Speaking of email, uh, you are also running uh, the Ruby Rogues Parley. Parley? Parley. Mm-hmm. Parley. Parley? That's not what uh, Webster said. Is it Parley? I All thought right. it was Parley, too, but hey. 
Yeah, I think you're probably right. It's parlay. I think a parlay is like where like you and I agreed not to go to war or something. Um. Well, okay. So there's. <laughs> that's actually. That's actually parley. That's that's the ey. Okay. Um. It's yeah. Parley is is like when two opposing sides come out and um and meet on 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 middle ground. Yeah. Uh, without killing each other, and, and that, that is. That is what what Ruby Rogue's parley is is that's the what's what the naming is based on although it. it was initially spelled wrong. Oh. Um <laughs> which confused. The AY is like when you you know you parlay your success into at something. Basket weaving into a yes. career with Martha Stewart or something I don't know. Speaking of conversion methods. <laughs> basket um, weaving dot to career. Yeah. But uh yeah, uh that's that's I'm totally biased, but that's like the best Ruby mailing list um, on Earth right now. I believe it. So how, so you guys have an interesting uh, subscription structure on there, which is you can pay ten dollars once, you can pay ten dollars a month, or you can pay fifty dollars a month. I think it is. I think um, it might be ten dollars a year. Oh, that's right. It might be the low version. I'm not even. What sure. did I say? Oh, once. Oh, yeah, ten dollars a year, ten dollars a month, or ten or fifty a month, or something like that. Yeah. What is the yeah. approximate breakdown of people signing up for that? Not a clue. I don't handle that. I don't handle that part. <laughs> they just send you the checks. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. Nice. That's pretty um, awesome. Do you need anybody yeah. to send more checks to? What's that? Are oh. you? <laughs> I want more email or or checks. Do monopoly checks count? Whatever. <laughs> um, yeah. So the mailing list, I, I've I have I'm actually not on it, but I've just I've heard good things. I've heard people referencing it. You guys are getting some good discussion on there. It, it, yeah, it's it's really fantastic. The the signal to noise ratio is really low, and I think mm. you know um, that was a big part of our thinking. I mean, yes, the subscriptions um, they they give us some some income from the podcast, which um, you know basically you know makes up for our time and also for um, lets us do a bit more traveling and you know get a bit more getting out to conferences, mm. and uh, which was kind of one of the big ideas. But the other the other side of that is it turns out that putting a, a paywall in front of a mailing list keeps the signal to noise ratio really, really good. Absolutely. Uh, because the people that are there want to be there. Yep. Um, and they care about being there. And so it's not just, you know, I'm going to hop on and ask a, ask a question I could have Googled and then hop back off. Totally. Yeah. And, no, I, th- so. I think there's huge value in that. Are you familiar with MetaFilter? Yes. Yeah. So they have the same model where it's, it's you can comment after you pay them $5 once. Okay, yeah. And it's just like exactly that. It's a signal-to-noise filter. It just makes the, the quality better. Yeah, and even, it works. Uh, MetaFilter is great. Yeah, it's... it's so yeah, a, we've had some long, long threads um, that have just been fantastic. It really reminds me of the early days of Ruby, Ruby Talk, you know, back a decade or so. Very cool. Um, and uh, we, we invite all of the hosts, all the guests uh, that we've had to join Parley. Hmm. And a lot of them have. And so, you know, it's, it's great to have these conversations where, you know, Jim Wyrick chimes in and noel rappin chimes in and, and glenn vanderberg and um you know and on and on gary bernhardt and totally uh, any plans to eventually sort of free some of that content into some sort of package deal um we've we've talked about it a bit mm-hmm. um i mean honestly you know personally i don't speak for the the rogues as a whole i would love to see i'd honestly love to see it just available maybe just like without the ability to comment or something like that mm-hmm um, I mean, I don't know what we'll do with it, but but yeah, I'd, I'd really love to see. I know that some of the um, some of the members have actually started. I don't recall the name of this project, but they've actually started 
uh, collecting some of the stuff together in kind of like digest form in like a, a GitHub project, I think. Hmm. That sounds useful. Maybe I, maybe I can find that if I can find that for you and send it to you for the, the show notes. Yeah, that'd be great. So that'd be very cool. So yeah, it's not really like I don't really want to hide information. I don't be like uh, you know, you can't have this information. Totally. You, pay, you know, it's it's more about um, supporting the show and um, and keeping that signal to noise ratio high. Yeah. Do you know about how many people are on the list these days? Again, not no a clue. idea. No idea. Okay. I don't, I don't have those stats. Okay. So you your focus these days is, is Ruby Tapas. Yes. Yeah. So this is a thrice weekly Ruby mm-hmm. related podcast or sorry, screencasts. Usually five minutes or less. Uh-huh. You've been I've, I've seen actually a couple of the ones that you've released uh, on your blog. Mm-hmm. I think they're good. They're they it's five minutes is actually a really nice length. It's like I'm I'm a little bit ADD with certain things and, mm-hmm. and it's just nice. It's like, OK, I'm going to I know I can watch this because I know it's not going to be long. Like there's there's surprising value in that. I'm glad to hear that. And I've, I've heard that a lot. Um, that was kind of, I mean, obviously I did not invent the Ruby screencast. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people broke ground on that long before I did. Sure. Uh, the only thing that I, unique idea that, that I think I had was, was to keep them really short, uh, to make it, you know, to focus really hard on introducing exactly one new concept, uh, per episode. And that was kind of a gamble. I really didn't know how people would respond to it it seemed like a good idea Mm. uh it seemed like something that that i would like but you know i'm not necessarily representative so it's been really nice to see that not only have people really um liked the format but i'm also starting to see some other folks um starting projects that are similar for other languages so uh that's that's exciting to me yeah it's 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 impressive to me how into educational content the ruby community is yeah i've I'm not as familiar with other communities, of course, but like it, it seems to be just so strong, like people willing to start these sort of projects and other people willing to pay for that material. Mm-hmm. It's, it's awesome. I feel like it creates such a, a strong community. Like there, there are so many ways to learn Ruby and learn Rails and things like that. There's just a lot of resources. Yeah. I think that's one of the advantages in, just in general of, of uh, open source language. Um, hmm. I, th- I think I've seen that in plenty of other communities besides the Ruby one, but it's always around open source languages because... Um, you know, when, when there's a, a corporate head of the technology, mm. there's kind of just kind of a community expectation that, that the, the vast majority of the, of the education is going to come from that, right. that corporate source. Uh, mm. Whereas, you know, if it's an open source language with open source libraries, then everybody kind of has, knows that, you know, if, if you want to see it happen, then you have to make it happen. Hmm. Matt's is open source, so so are we. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any any trouble keeping up with the schedule so far? It's been um it's been tight uh, um sometimes. I mean, uh at this point I've managed to get up to about a month of lead time. Mm. Oh nice. Um but uh it's been tough and mainly uh you know we we discussed a little bit earlier that uh I I've started tailing off on the uh the pairing sessions. Right. And that's why because it was doing, you know, as much as, as many as twenty pairing hours a week, plus putting three or four episodes of, of Tapas together, uh, was getting kind of nuts. Yeah, sounds um, like it. We so we I had I interviewed Gary Bernhardt on the podcast a little while ago, and mm-hmm. he said that Destroy All Software had had sort of started to feel like a job. Basically, mm-hmm. it was, it's better than a full time job, but it's definitely like you have this deadline that you got to hit again and right. again. Are you are you experiencing some of that? 
Yeah, well, I always I always kind of hoped that it would feel like a job, hmm. honestly. You know, I, I didn't really have any illusions about that. And, and um, like, in launching it, it, it was always kind of a go big or go home venture. I, you know, I knew that I wanted it. it. It was something I wanted to do, but it was also something that I wanted to transition, to be able to transition to. Um, just as, like, you know, how I wanted the direction I wanted my career to go. Hmm. Um, you know, just because of, I wanted it to be, I mean, I wanted to be running something myself, whether it was a software service or an educational service or something, just, you know, it makes it easier to, um, control my time and stuff like that. Hmm. And, um, so I kind of hoped that it would become a job. And so, yeah, I mean, there's that element of got to make the deadline, you know, every week I, I got to get out at least three videos to, to keep my, um, keep that month lead time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at least I'm, I'm doing something that I love doing, which is, you know, I've, I mean, I've been doing educational stuff long before it paid. Um, I've been, you know, writing up stuff on my blog and whatnot for a long, long time. And, and, and the cool thing about this is that basically I get to write all the blog posts that I never had time for. Hmm. Um, because I, I write everything first. I, you know, this, there, I always write a script and then record. And, uh, so I'm basically writing three blog posts a week now or four blog posts sometimes. Hmm. And, you know, I can go through my backlog of stuff, cool stuff about Ruby that I always wanted to cover on the blog and never got, got to. Hmm. Nice. That's a good fit then. Yeah. So you got these projects going and it sounds like a pretty interesting sort of day-to-day life and it's, it's working for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially once I get to the end of like the the uh the pairing sessions that i still had you know i already had i had like it turned out i had like a, had them scheduled like a month out yeah so you know i put that blog post up saying okay i'm taking down my shingle i'm not going to take any new appointments for a while but i'm still working through the backlog of of appointments that i already had uh i think once i get to the end of that um it's going to be a pretty good good uh, work life balance hmm. so how happy are you on a scale of 1 to 10 <laughs> yeah 7ish yeah, yeah. That sounds, yeah. that sounds pretty good. I got room for progress. Sure. I think that'll, that'll always be true. I bet no one ever hits 10. I don't know. You have to reach you enlightenment or something. Yeah. I don't know. We're too good at adaptive hedonism. <laughs> yeah, it's never quite good enough, is it? Yeah, maybe not. Um, Stupid Joneses. Yeah, exactly. And their lawn and their TV. Yeah, so I, I have an interview question for you, which is okay. h- how do you want your life to look in five years? Um... Hmm, good question. How do I want my life to look in five years? Well, I want to. I hope that we're in a bigger house by then. Hmm. <laughs> I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for. Uh, that's um, relevant. But uh, apart from that, um, pretty much doing the same kind of thing that I'm doing now. I mean, um, spending time with the family, spending more time with the family. That's that's definitely a big part of it. Hmm. Um. And uh, nice house in the woods, you know, American dream. Sure. Well, hey, it sounds like you're pretty close then. You just need the house mostly. Yeah. And a little more family time. Yep. Do you have any uh, any life missions that you want to knock out? Life or, missions. Or keep making progress well, on? Um, I mean, my, my stretch goal uh, for a long time has be, been to create a, a global airship empire and usher in a new age of airship travel. Um, <laughs> How's that going? Uh, still working on making that first billion because yeah. that's kind of when I'll start making investments. The first billion's the hardest. That's what I hear. Yeah. 
after that, it's all that's it's all pretty easy. That's why I called my company Shiprise. I like airships. I think it's the uh, it's the civilized way to travel. So huh, interesting. Well, let's let's meet up on an airship sometime. Sounds good to me. Yeah, do the they, next. They, there's one that runs in. Let's see, where are you located? Uh, Boston. Uh, okay, never mind. There's one that runs out of uh, San Francisco. Well, can we take one from Boston to San Francisco? Not yet, and that's what I aim to fix. Okay. Crossing the country should be via large, inflated, balloon-type mm-hmm. transportation device. I like things that are naturally buoyant rather than things that are, you know, naturally much, much heavier than the air around them and, and only kept aloft by great effort. There is a certain yeah, amount of fail-safe in that. <laughs> that should be kind of comforting. It's like canoes, you know. A canoe, you can swamp it, still still floats around. Huh. I guess that is nice. Um, so if people wanted to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Well, they can always um, can always go to my blog. I've got a contact form on there. Hmm. Uh, you know, s- dev, org has a contact form. Okay. And I saw you saying that you do not want Twitter DMs. <laughs> no. No, I, I periodically... Somebody will will DM me on Twitter and and I'll discover it you know days later. Yeah. Um, I also the, find the, that when I get a new DM, Twitter wants to notify me on every device. Like it's it's marked as a new thing on every single. Oh, place. see, I have all notifications turned off at this point because it's just ridiculous. <sighs> yeah. And and so I don't like I don't get notified for it, and I might see it eventually on on one of my Twitter clients. Yeah. And then like half the time that happens, it turns out that they don't follow me back. Right, which means I can't DM them back. Right. It's just the worst, the worst form of communication possible. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't mind if people message me on Twitter, but but man, if you want to actually have a conversation, send me an email. Got it. Okay. So I think that actually wraps things up. But uh, thanks very much for coming cool. by and stopping in electronically. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you don't want to talk about the law of Demeter at all? Do you want to? You want to? You want to hit that? What do you tell? <laughs> give me your give me your parting shot. Um, actually that would be a long parting shot. So, okay. You probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. Did you, how did you, you told us we were wrong and where did you say that on the show notes or something? A comment on the blog? Probably on the blog. Okay. Yeah. So if you, I can't remember what you said, but the, the two big, okay, I'll say it and you can edit it in if you want or not. Sure. But, uh, the, the two, uh, things that most people get wrong about the law of Demeter are that, um, it, they, they think it's about the number of dots, Mm -hmm. uh, which it isn't. Uh, they think of think it's about the number of uh, of um yeah it's really only one thing it's basically people think that it's that it's it's about the number of dots versus it's actually about the um the number of types you interact with hmm. so, so so more dots are okay as long as i'm just manipulating the same type i keep getting back yeah like one of the objections that i'll see to to the law of demeter is uh, or demeter however the heck you pronounce it yeah don't worry um about is that you know if we respected Demeter all the time, we wouldn't even be able to do things like, you know, string dot down case dot underscore dot uh, strip dot whatever. Yeah. Um, TRS. And uh, and that's totally not true because the it's all about how many types you interact with. And each of those methods returns another string, which means that you are continually interacting with the same type. Um, and uh, so everything's good. I mean, you're not. What you're not doing is you're not tying that method to a dozen different method, a dozen different external types. Mm-hmm. You know, and the and the APIs of the those dozen different external types. Right. So um, changes. You're not going to have changes that break that code, unless yeah. you went through and, and started mucking with the string itself. Yeah. And and the other thing is that it's 
I mean, it's, it's all about structural coupling, and it's all about structural coupling on the method-to-method level. Uh, it doesn't say anything. If you go and read the paper, it doesn't say anything about how many types your class can interact with. Hmm. It just says in a given method, try not to reach deeply into a, uh, the structure of something else. You know, leave that to other methods so that at least, you know, that particular method only has like one or two things that can cause it, one or two reasons to change. Hmm. You know, reading papers at the source, that's not really my style. I'm sort of more of a <laughs> hearsay and, you know, this is what Joe told me to do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like um, like mostly what I do on my blog has been basically go read the source on something and and then reiterate it. Like, I feel like a historian more than, than anybody that brings any kind of fresh ideas to the table. <laughs> uh, because there are so many memes out there that are like, you know, you, you hear... Somebody tells you the rule sometime and, you know, the rule don't have more than, than one dot in your, uh, in your method calls. You know, don't chain more than one dot in a method call and that's the law of Demeter. Mm-hmm. You know, and they, they hear the rule and then they come across um, some perfectly valid reasons why it makes sense to chain some dots together and then they're like well that's a stupid rule why was it ever called a rule in the first place mm-hmm. you know and it turns out that the paper says something totally other but but um you know memes spread and they spread because they're simple right uh, exactly and um papers don't spread so well right yeah you know but i still like rules um i like um we had a thread on on parley uh where we were talking about rules and uh sandy metz chimed in and, and said, you know, the, the thing about a rule is you, you can break it. I mean, rules exist to be broken. It's just that you have to convince your pairing partner that breaking it is a good idea. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's, I think that's for me what defines a rule. You know, you can have a guideline, but guidelines are something that feels like you can break all the time. Hmm. Um, but rules are things that you have, to, you have to go and convince somebody else why it's okay to break the rule. And that's, that is the value of them, I think. Mm. We, we take this approach too. So we have a style guide internally for the code and we just say, you know, the, the first thing it says in the style guide is follow the style guide unless you have a good reason not to. Mm-hmm. And like then just make sure someone, you know, reviews it and says, yeah, that's, you're right. Do this instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a pragmatic way of looking at things. Explain it to somebody else and, you know, either it'll start to sound stupid or, exactly. uh, or they'll nod their head and say, yeah, that makes total, total sense. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. I'm going to let you go now. All right. Thanks for helping Thanks us smash all those giant robots. Uh, so if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcast slash 39. Today's podcast was recorded by Anna Mariola, edited by Edward Lovell, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening. Thank you.